0: Thank you. Okay, so we've been in a Belong, Believe, Become series. That is probably the first time I've actually said it in the right order. Um, So that's a celebration. Not because I don't agree with the order. I think it's right and I think there's lots of truth in it. But just because I keep getting my words very muddled up. Um, I just want to pray before I jump in. We're going to focus on the become part today. um, But let me pray to start. Father we thank you that you are a God who loves to bring people into your family. Lord, I thank you for this church family where people can belong to something and to you. Lord, as we search out the truth of what it means to become all that you've made us to be, to become like your son, to be transformed into his likeness, God, I ask that you would speak directly to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you help me? Lord, what I'm supposed to say to bring you glory. Lord, would you give us open hearts to receive from you today? Come Holy Spirit in this room. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as I was um, preparing for this, I was really excited about the fact that I was thinking about, okay, so we're becoming, but what are we becoming? And clearly we want to become all that God has called us to be, But we also want to become like Jesus. There are multiple verses in the Bible that talk about us being transformed into the image of the Son, being like Him in humility and meekness and tenderness and kindness and love and the fullness of who He is, um, letting Him transform us to become that. And as I was thinking over this and praying about it, one verse that kept coming back to me, which is when I'm going to start today, is 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I really, at first, couldn't understand why I kept coming to that verse when I was talking about becoming. but the Lord really began to show me how actually this process of transformation that he talks about here is how we become, that we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So there's the truth that as we behold, we become like what we're beholding. And that's really what I'm going to speak about today today. Um, Really interesting timing, a friend of mine and I went to a screening on Friday of a, of a documentary. I'm not going to tell you all about the do- documentary, that's not the point of why we're here. But it was basically a looking at how the media has changed our culture and a, and a generation's view of sexuality and, and looking at how what we see has actually affected a change in behaviour, has affected a change in identity and a change in culture. And so basically we have become what we've beheld and what we've beheld hasn't been good. <laughs> and so it really got me thinking, it was like perfect timing for this talk because I was thinking if if what the media shows us and what is put in front of our eyes can have that much of an effect on culture and society, then how much more, as we seek to become godly, can what we put before our eyes do the same thing, but in a really, really good way? Um, So it's the exact same principle. There is correlation between what we watch, what we set our eyes, our minds and our hearts on, and what we therefore become Um, So if you want another B word, we've got a lot already, but it's belong, believe, I've added a cheeky behold and become. See, the, the very thing that causes us to believe is what? We see Jesus for who he really is. We have the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But it's actually that same thing that then keeps us in the becoming process of becoming who he's made us to be. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's daily and minute by minute and weekly seeing something new about him that then changes the way that we live. And slowly over time we become like him. So, set your eyes on him. Even I love that it says... um, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. I just love that even a dim glimpse of Jesus can change and transform us completely. The thing which brings us from belong to believe is a thing that then transforms us. It's our eyes being open to who He is. So whatever you behold in Him, He will reproduce in you, um, which I just love. Can you understand, uh, like I said, the documentary was really timely because it paints a picture of why there's such a war for our eyes, why there's such an attack on everything that we put in front of our eyes, um, because it actually changes things on the inside of us. Matthew 6 is a really clear picture of that. It says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness that is pretty intense if your lo- if your eye is good then your whole body is good if what you are setting your gaze on is holy and pure then what you will reflect and become is holy and pure but if what you are setting your gaze and your eyes on is not then what you will become is not. Um, So I'm basically going to talk about beholding Jesus today. Um, Simple but profound. Loving him for who he is and talking about how we as a community, as we create a family for people to belong to, if we have a fascination of Jesus that then will aid people in their becoming, then we're on to a really good thing. So, I've got a few points that I'm going to touch on today. And that's how beholding God keeps us, how beholding God changes our desires, how beholding God is actually our place of victory, and then how we, like I've just said, can be a community of transformation. So, I'm going to start with beholding God keeps us. And I'm going to start in a bit of a random scripture, but bear with me, I promise I have a point. Um, so, Revelation 4 says. Before the throne, there is a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, I just want to take a moment to paint the scene here. Now, bear in mind that heaven is currently exactly how God wants it. (laughs) He designed it. He set it up. And so anytime we get a glimpse in scripture of what heaven's like, that's how he chose it to be. He hasn't had us messing it up. (laughs) Um, So when we see a God that creates this creature who it says twice, just in those few verses, has eyes front and back, eyes around and within, and sets these creatures before him with one job for all of eternity, and that is to look at him. Now, if, if there is a God that does that, my conclusion is that that God must be really interesting and really fascinating. And if you were to sneak up, you know, it says there's a sea of glass. So put yourself in the scene. You're in the throne room. There's a sea of glass. The scripture says it's mingled with fire. There's angels surrounding the throne worshipping. There's saints gathered around praising his name. And there's the four living creatures. And you push your way through the crowd, sneak up on the living creatures. Not that you would be able to because they would see you coming because eyes front and back. Anyway, if you could, you'd tap them on the shoulder and be like, why do you stay here? I think they would, well, their response would be, have you seen him? There are these creatures that it says, do not rest day and night, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That means that forever... And forever, so forever in the past and forever going forwards, they have not stopped saying holy, holy, holy. They've got all these eyes that are gazing on the same thing moment by moment and their response has unchanged forever and will not change forever. They'll keep saying holy. Now, when I first read about these creatures, I, was, I felt sorry for them. I was like, one job forever? And it's not even like they mix the words up a bit. It's like, holy, holy, holy forever. Like, you couldn't even throw in a, like, a praise hallelujah, bit of a, you know, a mix-up. But then it struck me that no one was forcing them to stay. And so if there is this creature who is full of eyes, and that is what they do forever then that means that there is unsearchable things in God, that if I get bored in my time with him after 15 minutes, I am missing something. Because these creatures have been going forever. And when you look at the word holy, what that means is he's separate. He's totally other than there's no one like him. And so when these creatures full of eyes spend their entire eternity gazing on him, their response forever is they look, they see something new about him, and their response is, there's no one like him. There's no one like him. There's not another one like him. I want to know that God, and I believe that the same thing that keeps those living creatures there day and night for all of eternity is what keeps me when I want to become like him. It's fascination with a God who is so much more than we can understand or comprehend. And if they can keep going forever, then that fascination should keep me on my journey of becoming like him. A fascinated believer is a strong believer. A spiritually bored believer is a vulnerable one. I really believe that we were made to be fascinated And what we're fascinated by is determined by us. So we can be fascinated by the things of the world, or we can be fascinated by the beautiful, holy, living God who is limitless in power and mercy and meekness. And we can set our gaze on him, and that will keep us as we set our hearts to become like him. Temptation will not be successfully resisted if we live without fascination. I I really think that one of the reasons that we sin, because if we're we're either becoming like God or we're sinning, (laughs) and I believe that one of the reasons we sin is because we believe that sin has a better pleasure factor than obedience to God. That's what it comes down to, is we are looking for pleasure. We are searching for pleasure. We're searching for fascination. And we've bought into the lie that sin is more pleasurable than a relationship with a living God. And the thing is that for a moment, it's pleasurable. It's like an addiction. That first high is pleasurable until it starts to become like a disease that steals every part of your life. And so what we need to do in this process of becoming, which some of us will have started like a week ago, some of us have been becoming for years because we've been walking with Jesus for years, is to actually choose to say, I'm going to be kept by fascination with the living God. The greatest pleasure available to the human spirit is when God reveals God to your heart. I don't know if, ever, if any of you have ever had that experience where you've opened the Bible and you've read a truth about God and it has come alive to you in a way that you've never seen before. And it's God revealing himself to you, and it's the most pleasurable thing. It makes you come alive. And then you go to share it with someone else, and you're full of all this excitement and life, and they're like, yeah, I get it. And you're like, but you don't get it. They're like, no, 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 I do. I'm like, you know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know that verse. i was like, well, you clearly don't know the one that I read, <laughs> because that would blow your mind. <laughs> But the thing is that they haven't seen what you've seen. You've beheld something in him that was meant for you in that moment. And you have been transformed by it. But they cannot be transformed by a truth that they have not seen and beheld. And so in this community, as we seek to be a place where people can belong, we need to seek to be a place where we point people to behold what we've beheld so that they can be transformed. Psalm 16:11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. There is nothing that compares to the pleasure of knowing God. And if there is pleasures forevermore, and the fullness of joy, I don't even know what that looks like, the fullness of joy, but if the word tells me that it exists at his right hand, then that's where I want to be fascinated and sustained by. Okay, point two, beholding God changes our desires. Philippians 3, 7 to 14. It's long, but we're going to read it, so keep with me. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I absolutely love those verses, especially that last bit. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Now what Paul is saying here is, I have found something that is meant more to me than anything I've found before, and so I'm going to give up all of the old stuff because that is worth it to me, and if I'm going to become who I'm meant to be, then I need to press on to receive that prize. That's what I'm going for, um, and, and I think there's this, I'm not going to get into the whole history of, you know, Saul to Paul, but we know that this was not always Paul's testimony. This was not always how we felt about, about Jesus. He really had a wrestle. There was a struggle to get there. But when Jesus changed his life, everything else seemed less than. And so as we're on this process of becoming, there is a change in our desires as we look at who he is. And... Um, I think sometimes we we do things, you know, we look at Jesus and we behold him, whether that's by prayer, whether that's by reading the word, or whether that's in worship, because we feel that we have to, and that is a great place to start, but there becomes a time when duty becomes delight because as you look at him, you realize that he is so much better. There is so much more pleasure. I kind of expl- explored it in the first point, but there is so much more pleasure available in him than anything else that our desires begin to get changed. Um, I remember when my desire started to change um, I was in a a time where I was seeking the Lord and um, it wasn't a resolution of how bad the old stuff was. It was simply that I had seen something better and we cannot make ourselves feel bad enough to be good. That will never be a method of transformation is uh, is shame and condemnation. It just doesn't work. But what does work for transformation is finding out who he is and letting that truth transform us. And so it's not this, I need to change. It's a, who he is has caused me to change. And suddenly I don't want the things that I wanted before. Um, I, uh, I had this moment of zeal when I was a teenager, when it was, I was in this transformation <laughs> time of, Oh my gosh, I don't want the things I used to want. And I deleted all of my secular music. I have got some of it back now, just before you think I'm really holy. I mean, have you heard the greatest showman soundtrack? Can't live without that. I can if you want me to, but I really like it. Um, and But it wasn't, for this for me as a teenager, it wasn't this, Oh my gosh, I hate this Christian music. It was that suddenly I was so aware of what I'd been giving my ears to that I couldn't believe that I had this offer of pure entertainment in the form of a beautiful, fascinating living God and I'd chosen something else. And it was almost like this, like I'd been living off 20p a day and then discovered that I was secretly a millionaire and, and so it was like why am I choosing this rubbish when there's a feast before me and so I zealously deleted all and now have welcomed back the greatest showman um, and a few others but there is a choice on our part we have to choose to look at him and let him change our desires but duty becomes delight when we realise that what we're giving up is nothing compared to what we gain okay okay Beholding God is our place of victory. I want to start in Psalm 27, verses 1 to 4. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock. And I've always loved Psalm 27 verse 4, that one thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. I've always been like, yes, Jesus, one thing, you'll be the one thing. But I always forget that it's actually in the context of war. So David, when he's writing this, is in this really intense, like, physical battle. So we, you know, may not necessarily experience war in the natural sense, Um, but he was, he's in a real battle, and yet when he says, in this I will be confident, you would expect him to say something like, in this I'll be confident, my God is able to kick the butt of my enemies, (laughs) my God is able to smash down um, those that oppose me, and he does in other psalms, but he says, in the middle of war, this is what I'm confident in, that there's one thing that I've desired, and that is to be in his house and look at him. Because if I can see who he is and agree with that truth, then everything else going on around me will change because I am in agreement with the truth of who he is. It actually becomes a place of victory is by beholding him. And I was really thinking about that in our context, like we have all these amazing things going on. We have the food bank. We have the job club. We have the debt center. And we have people that are belonging to a family. And they are seeing something about Jesus that is making them believe in him. And they are coming on this process of becoming, but they're in a war and suddenly, they've chosen to believe, but that past relationship is trying to make the process of become not work. That addiction is holding on to them. We all probably still have stuff that is hindering our process of becoming, and it's, we're in this context of a war, whether it's lust, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's addiction, whatever addiction. But if we can get to a place where actually our victory comes from being fascinated by God then I think we would see a real change. And so as people come into our community, We need to, yes, walk with them through the challenges they're facing, but in a way that says, if you want to overcome this and become what you're meant to be, then your answer is found by gazing on him. Look at him. Look at who he is and and let us be a representation of that. Let us say, I was where you were and I looked at him and he's transformed me and I overcame as I became what he called me to be. And you can do the same, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. He is. Let's look at him together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A couple of other verses on this, and then we'll go to the last point. I want to read from Revelation 2, verses 8 to 10, and then Revelation 2, verses 12 to 16. And the context of this really is, so Jesus is giving a message to specific churches in different areas. And there's specific battles that they are facing. And what I find really interesting, I've only picked two, but you can see in each one that he addresses, is that he starts by saying, these things says, and then he reveals an aspect of himself. So in this first one, we've got these things says, the first and the last who was dead and came to life. But what I love is that the very thing that he reveals is the exact truth that that church needs about him to overcome the challenge that they're facing. It's not a coincidence, because he reveals something different about himself every time. And what you'll see is that that truth that he t- shows them is exactly what they need to overcome the specific challenge, because it's a revelation of him that helps us become who we're meant to be. So, for example, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So basically, Jesus is saying to this church, look, it's not going to end well for you. I see what you're doing. This is coming. But he started it by saying, I'm the first and the last who was dead and came to life. So he's saying, if you can behold me as the one who overcame death, I will strengthen you to overcome death when you find yourself in that situation. He starts by revealing this truth about who he is and then addresses the challenge that they're facing, knowing that if their gaze is set and if they can grasp that truth, that it will empower them to walk through the challenge that he's addressing. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. How amazing that the one who overcame death would speak to the very people who were going to have to go through that for him and use the truth of who he was to sustain them, to become what they needed to become in that moment. We see it again in this next one. These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have uh, those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So once again, the challenge that this particular church is facing is an issue of doctrine, but who did Jesus reveal himself as? The one who has the sharp two-edged sword, which speaks of truth. So again, if, the, if that group of people can set their sight on that God who has the sharp two-edged sword, who is truth, then that revelation of him will actually empower them to overcome the challenge that they need to overcome. So it's our place of victory. We can behold Jesus and be changed in a way that changes our course of action to overcome the situation that we're facing, whatever that might be. Um, but yeah, I really feel like beholding as a place of victory. And if there's something specific that Jesus is revealing to you or highlighting, I remember there's been times in my life where I haven't been able to get away from just one aspect of him. And it was exactly what I needed at that time to then walk through the challenge of that he's really kind in the way he leads and the last point a community of transformation i as i was going through this um, looking at belong believe become i was really having an amazing time looking at those who were closest to jesus on the earth and the journey of transformation that they went through in their lives and We could talk about a whole host of people, but I've just picked two here to make a few points about. Um, I really love Mary Magdalene. Uh, Luke 8, verse 1 to 2 says, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. So the very first mention we have of this woman is a woman who was oppressed, who was broken and hurting and and battling all these things and had found freedom only from Jesus. And so there's not much that is mentioned about Mary um, throughout the Gospels, but there is another part which I really love, and that is, It's in John 20, verse 11 to 18. I won't read the whole thing um, for the sake of time. But when Jesus died and rose from the dead, the very first person that he reveals himself to was Mary Magdalene. Now, if it was me, (laughs) and I had just died and rose from the dead, you better believe that it would be the people that just killed me that I would show up to. (laughs) Like thought you'd beaten me suckers (laughs) good job I'm not Jesus um he returns to Mary Magdalene a broken young woman who had found freedom through him why because she had become a friend and Jesus in the moment of his glory wanted to be with a friend And so there is this amazing story of redemption that comes from a lady who was broken and who had a really horrific past and who had come to Jesus, belonged in the family. The Bible talks about her being with the disciples and journeying with him, had found a family to belong to, had come to believe in Jesus and then had been transformed over time by what she saw in him day after day after day, that she, out of everyone, this broken young woman, was chosen to be the first one that saw the resurrected Christ. If he can do that for Mary Magdalene, he can do it for every single person that we come into contact with. He can take us from a place of brokenness to freedom, to belonging, to believing, and then becoming a friend. John is another person who I want to quickly mention. Um, again, so much could be said about John, but just a couple of points. In Mark 3:17, it says, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, I can never say this, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Now, if Jesus gave you a nickname, that probably wouldn't be the one that you wanted, like out of everything. and But I really think it was because of John's character to begin with. There are lots of stories we see in the gospel where John doesn't quite get it right. One of my favorites, because it makes me feel better about myself, is when they're about to walk through this city and they, the city has not quite responded in the way that Jesus and the disciples would have hoped. And John's solution to the problem is, Jesus... <laughs> You want me to just call down fire and burn this whole thing up? And Jesus is like, eh, you haven't quite got it, John. We're actually here to save. <laughs> and so I think that his sons of thunder nickname probably comes from the fact that he was a son of thunder and he had some issues like we all do. Uh, praise God, ours aren't recorded in the gospel for everyone else to see. Um, I'm sure John doesn't mind. Um But, again, we see this transformation of this guy who started as a son of thunder and becomes known, as John is widely known by scholars and other people now as the apostle of love, and we see this guy who wanted to call fire down from heaven become the one that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to on the cross, become the one that lent on Jesus' chest just before he was about to die because he was the one that had the close relationship and said, Jesus, tell me what's going on now, when none of the others did. And so once again, what happened? Jesus took this fiery but messed up young guy, gave him a family to belong to. John saw something in Jesus that made him believe that he really was the Christ and the Messiah. But then it was over a period of time that he then had to become because of what he saw in Jesus in the day to day. And so my hope is and my prayer is that as we as a community look at just even those two individuals whose lives were radically changed, who are just two in so, so many others that we could have chosen, is that we would mirror that in the sense that we would be a family for people to belong to. We would give people a chance to choose who they believe in and then we would point them to Jesus, the transformer of lives, the one who can take the son of thunder and make the apostle of love, the one that can take Mary from being possessed by seven demons and then create a friend who he then reveals himself to. If he can do that for them, that same living, beautiful, fascinating God is here in our midst wanting to do the same for us, but also for those who are going to come and be part of the family from the food bank, from the debt center, from the job club, from the alpha course that we're about to run, from all of these things that are like people coming to belong. Let's let them see him so that they believe and become all that they're meant to be we must be a community who helps people to belong. We must be a community that is known for our love, that welcomes with open arms, an inclusive community. But we must, hand in hand with this, also be a community completely fascinated with God, so that when someone comes to the food bank or the job club or the debt centre, wherever it may be, they're welcomed in, they belong to a family, their eyes are open to see who he is, and then when the rubber hits the road like we talked about when they figure when they find themselves in that place of war of I really believe but I'm not quite sure I've got what it takes to become then it would actually be our testimony that actually it's not what you do actually there is a god who is on your side and if you just look at him and spend your time searching him out and choosing to know who he is The very knowledge of him, because he's so beautiful, will actually transform you. Not only will you overcome, but you'll become. And how amazing. We all probably have those people where you spend time with them, and just by spending time with them, you want to know and love Jesus more. (laughs) I have people in my life like that, that just from being around them, I want to love Jesus more. Not because they're preaching at me, but because I can see that they are fascinated by something that is so great that I want it. And so let us be a community where people, just by being a part of us and belonging to us, want to know what we're fascinated by and search him out and are transformed in the process. Can I pray? Jesus, I thank you that you are altogether lovely. Lord, just as we sang this morning, you are altogether lovely. You are altogether worthy. Jesus, we have never seen another one like you. Lord, and we join today with the cry of the living creatures that you are holy. There is no one like you. You are completely other than. You are separate. You are different. There is no one who can change lives like you. There is no one who can break addictions like you. There is no one who can win our hearts like you and walk us through this process of becoming like you. And Lord, today, I ask that you would show us, that you would speak to us what you're asking each of us to respond to. Lord, I make the personal choice today to look at you again. Lord, to not get caught up in the, in the busyness of life, And the doing of church. And forget the one who it's all for. Lord so as we seek to be a community. Where people can belong to. Lord would you be the center of it all. Would you fascinate us. And captivate us. Lord let us never put the mission. Before the man. That it's all for. Let us keep you Jesus. High and lifted up. God I thank you that there is a group of people here who have found you to be beautiful. Lord, and I ask for each one of us that you would show us something today that undoes us again, that changes us again, that helps us to overcome the next challenge. Lord, whatever people are facing in this room right now, Holy Spirit, the one who searches the deep things of God, I ask that you would show them something about Jesus that could change their situation. Lord, help us to behold you. Open our eyes to see you. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and let us be changed. We love you. Amen.